on the Parsha, the Zerd, on this week's Torah portion, the Parsha. And the Zerd is part two, Chet Beis, which begins in Shmois, the book of the book of Exodus, the book of names. So the story that the Torah is describing in the book of Shmois, in the beginning of the book of Shmois, is the descent into exile. Abay Mitzrayma, these are the people, these are the names of the tribes that entered into Mitzrayim, entered into Egypt, a place of constriction and concealment and estrangement. Mitzrayim comes from the word Metzar, comes from a place of constricting. So it's talking about a people, and it's also a collective story and also an individual story, talking about a process of people entering into a state of exile, a state of deep um, existential, inauthentic self, being of self, a place of estrangement, a place of not knowing self, a place of not having das, not having awareness of self. And it talks about this on a collective level, and of course the Torah is also speaking to us at a very personal level about about this process, what it means to enter or to be in a state of exile, to be in an unredeemed state, and the process of redemption. And the story, the way it unfolds, and this will read a little bit from the Zohar, from two, people, two parts of the Zohar in the beginning of this week's portion, the beginning of the Parsha. The Zohar, the, the, the Torah describes <coughs> that the, the process of Claudius of the people of Israel's redemption begins when Moshe Rabbeinu is standing at the burning bush, at the snare. He says, I'll, serve era, I'll, I'll pause and I'll behold to see this wondrous event of the burning of the bu burning bush. And in that experience, he has this mystical inner experience. And he asks Hashem, what is your name? Remember, Shmois is all about names, or the lack of names, the lack of identities, or finding your name. He says, what is the name? What is the divine name? And the responses that he receives is the name Aleph, Hey, Yud, Hey, Eka. This is the name, this is the highest name that's revealed at the story of the burning bush. This name is, corresponds to, this, to the sphere of Kesser or to Bina. It's a very high level name. The translation of the name means I will be who I will be. Eka is a becoming, not a being, but a, be, a becoming. And that's the name that is being revealed to Moshe. This is the clue, this name is the, the beginning process for the, for the possibility of redemption. What does this mean inwardly? Because everything is reflected both on a cosmic level, on a macro level, on a micro level. What does it mean on a micro level in our own personal lives? What does the name Eka mean? What does this name, divine name, mean? I will be, the name that is becoming. So there is a, a teaching by the Ari, by the Holy Arizal, which is more further impacted by the Baal Shem Tov and the students, and the, the Baditra brings it down, and the Maranayim brings it down, Alter Rebbe brings it down, and the Siddur, that there's a Kavanas of Baal Shem Tov Mikvah, there's intention of the Baal Shem Tov Mikvah, and essentially, fundament, essentially there are three um, positions or three properties within a mikvah. Mikvah means 
a ritual bath for purity, which means that a person is a state of stuckness, of impure, tame, sasam, closed off from life. A person is stuck. And this could be also a literal sense of impurity, or it could mean, like the Zara says, that a person should go to the mikveh if they experience anger because they lose their soul. But it means a person is very much stuck and rigid in a certain paradigm, a certain way of thinking, a certain way of being. And there's no fluidity in life, there's no movement in life, there's no expression. So the Torah says this person has to go into a mikvah, go into a ritual bath, and the way the Ari and the Hashem speak about this is that there are three position, three basic intentions that a person has to have, and they're related to the three parts of the mikvah. The first part is that you have to have, an, you have, to have an intention to your feet that are touching the ground. The, na- the, the, the sacred name, the name of Hashem, it's connected to the ground. The ground of your being is the name Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. Ado and Noi, which is, spells also the word Alev Din, the idea of constriction. That is the reality of, of who you are right now. So when a person enters into the mikvah, whether well, this, is, this is a literal mikvah, um, or a proverbial mikvah, like in, 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 your, in the state of your consciousness, the first awareness is where am I, where am I right now? So to acknowledge that reality, to understand who I am at this moment and why am I feeling so frustrated and, 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 and stuck in my life. That's the ground of my being. That's the reality of who I am. Then a person starts immersing themselves in the mikvah. So what they do is they lift up their feet um, and now their intention should focus on the four sides of the water or the four walls of the water which is surrounding you. Which the water represents, which is the idea of the Ein Sofias, the infinity, the name of Yudke Vavke, the name of Hashem, which represents infinity. So if the ground of your being is connected to your, to your narrative, to who you are right now, in order to unstuck yourself, what you have to do is you have to let go of that, let go of your narratives, let go of who you are, and just be in a place of infinite, infinity. So the idea of letting go. So I'll say, the reason why I'm angry is because X, Y, and Z, and now I'm just going to let go of that story. That's the Ein Sof. But purity, according to Halacha, this is also uh, alluded to in Taisus, the idea of pure, of pure purity does not occur when a person is in, actually in the mikveh itself, but purity occurs when a person is emerging from the mikveh. As a person is emerging from the mikveh and exiting the mikveh, which means the cap, the tap, the water above his head or her head, when they're moving out of the mikvah, that's when the purity becomes. And what's the water right above the head? The water above the head is the name of Aleph Yudke, which is Eka, which is the name of becoming. So the emergence of self is in the state of becoming. This is going to be, this is going to be where our purity comes. Let's try to understand what this is and go back to the name and understand this, how exactly how this works. The reason why people are so stuck in their life and so um, uh, immobile in terms of their development, whether it's emotional development or spiritual development or even physical development, is because they get stuck in a particular narrative. And the, the narrative is created through past events. And the way a person most, unfortunately, the way a lot of people live is they're living in the present moment, but they're always connected to their past. They're always enfolding 
the experiences of the present moment within the context of their past. And this is this is something that's negative. This is this is this is a, a negative thing. This is a klipa, because what that means is it's not allowing you to experience the present moment as it's potentially unfolding in this present, but you're always experiencing the now, the moment that's arising in the present moment, as if it's already part of the older narrative of your past. So, so and that's why for that's why the word avera, which literally means sin or transgress in the Torah, the root of the word avera is the word avar, is past, because past is narrative, and narrative of past narrative is what holds us back. So, for example, a person is um, a person has a certain conception, a certain idea in their mind that they should be doing this in this world, and they were very success, success, successful doing this particular thing in this world for a certain period of time, and now they're having certain types of resistance, and they, they're no longer successful in doing the things that they were doing up until this point. Usually when a person, ha when a person, when this happens to a person, a person becomes very frustrated and angry and anxious because I was doing this and I was very successful. Now I'm, I'm doing this and I'm no longer successful. So what stops the person from actually saying, yes, maybe up until 20 or to 30 or 40, I was doing this in my life and that was the things that I was very successful in doing. But now the world, Hashem is presenting a new reality to me in this present moment that's saying now I have to let go of it and have to be in another place, do another thing. What holds me back from being from being open to life is my past narrative. So the past is what really holds us back because it doesn't allow us to experience the present, the infinite present moment that's bringing new opportunities in the present because we're always enfolding our present within the context of our past. And because we were used to particular things or we have a certain narrative of the past, we expect that the, the, re, the, the effects of that past will be exactly the way we're going to live in the present. The Zohar, in the beginning of this week's portion, speaks about this idea a little bit when the Zohar says in, the Zohar says in, uh, in Shmai's Beis At Beis, right in the beginning of the Zohar, this week's Parsha, the, Torah, the, the Zohar says, Man tsar, says, a person that's a custom, a person that's used to experiencing pain, which means that's the story. Let's, for whatever, whatever reason, this is what this is what you expect of life because this is the way you're experiencing life up, up until now. Even if you're experiencing something new, that's also painful. You won't be so uh, discombobulated. You'll 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 you'll, you'll accept it more. But if someone that is experienced one way and then is experiencing something else differently, then they experience the, then they experience pain. Which means that you sort of, in most times, what you're doing in life, when you're living in a pre present moment, you're always trying to um, engage the present, the opportunities of the present as if they're part of the context of the narrative of the past. And therefore, you're not allowing yourself to experience the present as it's unfolding, because new opportunities are being presented to you. You know, the story of, of, of for example, the story the way the, the Zohar explains it, and this is the way the Torah expo, uh, illustrates this narrative, is that the people are stuck in Egypt, they're stuck for hundreds of years in Egypt, and they never complain. 
We not only we don't complain, we don't hear a voice. We don't hear that they're ever saying this is painful. We'd want different. And the reason for that is because they got, became comfortable with that, and that's the way they expect their life to unfold. So this could be positive and for negative. But you have a certain expectation, a certain, a certain narrative, a certain conception of how you think your life is, and you don't allow yourself to be open to the present moment that can present itself with new realities. This is the, this is the klipa of the narrative. In fact, the, the, the narrative, klipa only has a narrative. The definition of klipa, the definition of something that's negative, is that it's a narrative, and it is that, is that it's already created in the past. There's a, there's a wonderful teaching for the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem says that in the story of the Megillah, where it talks about the story of the Queen of, Queen of Esther, the story of the Megillah, Purim story, where the king asks for Vashti, which metaphorically, Vashti represents the, the queen of Klippa, the queen of negativity, and asks Vashti to come with the crown. And the way Chazal Mars says that this means that she should come only with the crown, she should come with outer garments, and she doesn't appear, and the king is very upset at her, so the, the Baal Shem says it's not because of her modesty that she didn't want to show, without, show herself without the garments. We're talking about the, the, the symbolic image or the, 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 the archetype of what, of what Vashti is. It's not because of, of modesty, but because Vashti represents Klippa, represents this negativity. And the, the Metzias of Vashti, the existence of Vashti is a narrative, is a garment, is a story. And the moment the king, the king is is Hamel, the king, asks for Vashti to appear without garments, Vashti doesn't exist. Not that she doesn't appear because she doesn't want to appear without her garments, because the Metzias, the existence of Vashti, is a narrative. The existence of Klippa is a story, is certain stories that we tell ourselves about, our, about, about who we are in this world. And those things most times hold us back because it doesn't allow us to experience what we should be experienced at this very present moment. This is connected the freedom to this, the freedom of this idea is connected to the name of, of Aleph Hei Yud Hei, which is the name of becoming. The name becoming is the, is, the, is, the, is the opening that allows us to experience the more, the possibility that's unfolding. Let's understand this a little bit more deeper with, through a, another piece of the Zohar. <coughs> Where Shimon is talking about a particular verse, a pasuk, and then he says like this, Koil Amalidibur. Let's just read the words and then I'll explain what this is, try to unpack it a little bit. The coil, the voice speaks, says to speech. This coil, this voice, sound. Sound is having a conversation with speech. So there's sound, there's the actual sound that you create, and then there is the speech that you that you create through that sound. And sound, voice, says to speech, Iti, be with me. Let's be together. Begin Let's be as one without any separation. This is what the voice says to the world of speech. Begin the coil, Iuklau. So the Zara said because the, the coil, voice, is the principle, the general. Dibur prat. Dibur speech is already the detail. Valda klau prat, and the principle needs the detail. Uprat klau, and the details need the principle. The less dibur, because there's no possibility 
for voice without speech, and there's no possibility for speech without sound, without voice. Now the truth is, part of the statement seems correct, which is that you cannot create speech without having voice. How is speech created? Speech is created, you take, <coughs> or sound. <coughs> you can't create dibur <coughs> without call. You can't create speech without sound, which means how is speech created? Speech is created is you have an unarticulated or undifferentiated sound, uh, like an outbreath of sound. Then you use the five gvuras, the five potentials of the mouth, which is the palate, the teeth, the tongue, etc. And through the through the five potentials of the mouth, you break down sound, and that creates speech. That creates language. So when you say, let's say, the letter, uh, let's say, gimel, or g, whatever that letter that sound is, or you say the the word, let's say, game or gmul, whatever the word that you're sounding, what you're doing is you're taking pure undifferentiated sound. You're using the five restrictions of your mouth to create particular sounds, and that particular sounds, when they're streamed together, create a word or, and create language. So the, the, the possibility of speech is only through sound. You can't have speech without sound. But why does Zohar also say, the less called deeper, there is no voice, there is no sound without speech. You can have a voice without a speech. You can just say, aha. You can just take an out-breath, which is sound without speech. So what does that actually mean? And what does this mean that this coil and deeper? So Dari speaks about this in great length, the idea of the difference between coil and deeper. And he, and Dari ties these, these two things, coil and deeper, to the name of Hashem and the name of Aleph, Tal, and Nun Yud. We said before that there are three names that we're, being, we're going to understand. One is the name of the ground of your being, the state of reality of who you are right now in this present moment, which is the Aleph, Tal, and Nun Yud. Ado and Noi, which is that the, the one name, which is like the Malchut, the Malchus, the thing that's holding, the container that's holding it. That's the world of speech. There's also the Yud Kevavke, the name of Hashem, or the Tetragrammaton, the, the higher name of Hashem, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, which represents Hoya Hoya past, present, future, infinity, which is Eitzav, is the call. That's the that's the voice in itself. So Koil is connected to Havaya, to the name of Hashem, and Dibur is connected to Adnai, is connected to the lower name. We said there's also the third third name which is Havai is connected to the Ferris, and Eka, Aleph, He, Yud, He, is connected to Bina, Orvin, to Kasser. So this is a higher name. So there is, in the context of what we're saying now, there is the name of Dibur, that's connected to Aleph, Dal, Nun, Yun, and the name that's connected to Karl. What's the difference between these two things? What does it actually mean? Is that Karl, sound, what is sound? That every every articulation of speech is rooted in in the, in the silence that precedes the language, in the potential that precedes the language. So for let's and then there's the actuality, which is the language itself, which is the speech itself. So there is the world of the hidden and the world of the revealed, let's, let's, uh, or the world of the potential, the world of the actual. So for example, let's say a person has an idea that want to express this idea. 
So the way the person understands the idea within himself, within herself, is much more expansive and elaborate than the way they're going to express it with through speech. Speech is, in a way, of course, speech is a medium through which I can reveal my thoughts through speech, but speech is also a concealment. It's a reduction. It's holding the thoughts in very small, uh, in, 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 in language, but it's, it's, it's a constriction of the, of the original thought. You know, when sometimes when you tell over a person an idea, the way it exists within your mind, and you tell it over to another person, and you see the person's not responding in the same way because you feel like you're not really conveying the full power of that idea through the world of speech. Because speech, by definition, is already a limitation, a concealment, a alef dalen nun yud, a adnai, a concealment, a din of the original uh, idea, the way it exists within your mind. So, the, so there is the there is the way the thing exists within its potential, the potential of this idea, the potential of this thought, in its infinite sort of not literally, but in its infinite um, uh, expansiveness, which is the world of coil, a voice, and then when it's articulated through the world of speech, that's already when it's reduced into a particular thing. So there's the world of there's the world of the potential, the infinite potential, the way it exists within Carl, which is voice, sound, and the way it is expressed in speech is the way it's already expressed in its actuality and it's already its finite form. Redemptive speech, redemptive speech is the yichud between Avaya and Alik and Adnai, the, the unification between these two names. Which is the unification, like the Zohar says, it's the unification between Koil and Dibur. The Koil speaks says to Dibur and says, let us be iti, let us be together. That will be a redemption of speech because Klal Yisofer, in the grand understanding, metaphor of the story of the Exodus and the story of the exile into, into, into Mitzrayim, is that there's a Golas Adibur, there's a constriction of speech. And the constriction of speech is not that they don't speak, of course they spoke. But the Torah doesn't say that they're speaking because they're not speaking words of redemption. They're speaking words, the words of exile. And what that means is not only they're, they're not speaking about their redemption, they're not imagining the possibility of their redemption, but the words that they're using is unredemptive. The difference between a redemptive way of speaking and a concealed, a constricted way of speaking is whether the speech is unified with voice, with its potential, or the speech stands on its own separate from its potential? Is it an actual, is it an actual without a potential? Or there's, within the actuality, there's always the potential? What does mean? I'll, I'll explain what this means. For example, there's a, there's a, there's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem HaKadosh writes, that it says, Tzadik Yifrach, that a tzadik, a righteous person, a sage, an enlightened person, katoma yifrach, that the words of a tzaddik or the life of a tzaddik will uh, multiply, yifrach will, will flower like a cedar tree. That katoma yifrach. So the Balsham says that what is the definition of a tzaddik or how do you know what's a sign that when you hear something, you heard the from the person that is a tzaddik, is when the ideas that they express to you will continuously flower new ideas within your own imagination. So when the words spoken actually ignites further imagination, a real way of knowing, for example, whether you're hearing words that are connected to kedusha, holiness, 
which is the idea of flow and movement and furthering life and life affirming and, and moving things forward, or whether you're hearing words of klipa, which are dead words, is sometimes you hear an idea from somebody, and it's actually a very pretty interesting idea. You hear the idea, what, he's, what this person is saying, and you say, okay, that's a great idea. And the idea stops with the idea, the, the way it was expressed. That's not yifrach. That's not flowering. That's not growing. That's not multiplying. It exists as the thought, as the idea, the way it exists within itself. But sometimes you read something, you hear something, and the person says something, and then after you hear what the person says, for the next two days you're just overwhelmed, or for the next few hours you're overwhelmed what that person says, and because of what the, the words that the person says, you constantly are thinking of new ideas connected to those words. That means that the, the person gave over to you in the words that they spoke, they gave over to you not only the dibur, which is the concealment of the thought, and the thought as it is, but they were able to give also the coil. They were also able to give over the potential of the thought, or the infinite expanse of the thought within the speech. And therefore, when you receive the world of the speech, what you're also receiving from that is also the world of the call, the world of the sound, which is infinite. So therefore, when you hear those words, it opens you up, and you hear more and more and more, and it constantly flowers. So what the czar is saying is, and when it says there was a gullus of dibur, there was a, there was a, there was a lack of speech in Egypt, and this means in our own personal lives, is that sometimes we speak and we say words and we fill a lot of, you know, we fill the ear with a lot of noise, but it's pedestrian, it's 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 mechanical type of speech, it's like we're speaking like a manual, which is, you know, do this. <coughs> if we're having a conversation with somebody, do this, don't do that, be here, don't don't come here, like very functional come for, for dinner, don't come for dinner, I'll see you later, don't see me later, which is the idea of I'm expressing dibur, but the dibur has no call within it. I'm expressing speech, but the speech is only actual, it's only functional, and it doesn't have the place of the potential. That is, that is enslavement. That's, that's internal, internal enslavement. The internal uh, place of deep exile and a deep state of, of, of inner trauma, of lack of expression, is when a person has no inner life. When there's nothing inward, there's no call that's being expressed in the deeper, there's no inwardness, there's no potential that's being expressed in the actual, they're only expressing things in an actual state. On the other hand, when the deeper, when speech is connected to the world of the potential, so you hear within that speech, you're always hearing the potential of the idea, the infinity of that idea that's being expressed in the speech. You know, th think about it, you, you'll, you'll notice that there's sometimes when you speak to, to somebody, and it's an intelligent person, or you had an interesting conversation, sometimes the, the conversation uh, expands life, adds things, and creates something new, it generates things. Even if you're sitting and talking small talk, it's possible, because it's generating love or affection and, 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 and friendship, whatever it's generating, but it's generating more, or sometimes it's just very functional. It's like you're going to a teller at a bank, and it's very just, okay, here's the amount of money I put in depositing, here's the amount of money I want. That's a very functional, that's a place a person that's, that's in a cons very constricted state, in a state of that there is no um, inner life. When a, start, a person starts talking like that forever, and, and all in all functions of life, in all, the, all, all relationships of life, they're talking in a way that's very functionality. 
This is a world of just the actual. So there's the world of the actual, which is the world as is, which goes back to the name of Aleph, Dalai, Nun, Yun, which you said is the ground of your being, the, the floor that you're standing on, which is who you are. Then there's also the coil, and its potential, infinite light, infinite create, creative light from Hashem of the Yudkei Vavkei. That's a potential natural. And then there's going to be the third element, which is the idea of, of becoming, which is the marriage. We'll say in a moment, which is the marriage, the unity between these two. In order for two things to become together, that's to be a third that unifies these two. This idea of this potential and this actual is also expressed in the beginning of the new year, which is the most the idea of this chachas, the renewal of the new year, when we receive new blessings for the coming year. So the way we, we enact or, and celebrate Rosh Hashanah, Mitzvah the way we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the new year, is through the sounding of the shoifer. What is the sound of the shoifer? The sound of the shoifer is, like the Balsham writes, and the altar ever brings down the Siddur, what is the sound of the shoifer? What is this sound? The sound is the kol pashat, is the essential sound. This is the infinite sound, the sound of potential, of the potential of the coming year, the, the blessings that we're going to receive in the coming year. So we, the way we reenact, and technically, we we do this for other reasons, but technically we should blow the shofar immediately in the morning, for the first thing in the morning, right? When we wake up in the morning, we should blow the shofar. Because it was a gzair, there's other reasons why this is, this is not done, but that was originally the, reason, the, the way it was done. As it's the midst of the Torah, so you should do it right away in the morning, so you should blow the shofar, which is the sound, the world of coil. And then immediately after you do the coil, after you create the sound, what you right away do is you marry the sound of the potential of the coming new year, the blessings that you're going to receive, the infinite blessings that you're going to receive in the coming year, and you immediately attach it to Dibor, to speech. And then for the next five hours, or how long you pray, as long as you dive in Rosh Hashanah, for the next many, many hours, you have the whole Machsar, which all you're doing is speaking. You're speaking, you're speaking your prayers. You're doing Dibor. And that's why tefillah, davening, prayer, is important that we speak to words. It's not only that we have uh, the, the meditation and we have uh, an idea a thought process of creating these ideas and connecting to the Ain self and bringing down these blessings that we wish for, for ourselves. But we have to speak it because the speaking is the is making the potential into actual. This is what the Zohar says. The prat, the detail, the sa the, the language, the, the dibur, which is the actual, needs the potential, needs the voice, because you cannot create speech throughout voice. And the Zohar says also the, the opposite is also true, that the cloud needs the prat. The voice needs the needs the, the the voice needs the language needs the speech, because if you don't if the voice is not married to language, then you have a lot of potential, but you don't have anything that's actual. Where is the marriage of the potential, the actual? That's in the name of Eka. That's in the name of becoming, which is the emergence out of for the when you're moving out. What does that mean? Because what does it mean to marry the potential, the actual? Besides the idea of speaking from a place, from an authentic place, speaking from, from a place of, of a potential being expressed within the actual, so the words always are continuously overflowing, is that the ground of your being is who you are, and you're stuck. That's the narrative. That's the clipper we say. That's the din. That's the constriction. You want to get out of that. So you let go of it, and you say, okay, I'm just in the place of pure potential, and I'm open to life. If you don't now assume a healthy narrative in the present, not in the past, but in the present, and constantly unfolding present, constantly the narrative that's constantly being rewritten at every moment, the autobiographical part of life, 
that's constantly being written, then you don't have a story either. You have nothing. If you just have the place of the actual, which is the mechanical, the narrative, the past, then you're stuck. It's tumah. Then you're standing on the ground and you're not pure. And there's no way to engage in life because you're just in the place of the actual. You're just in the place of the mechanical. If you let go of that and you say, okay, I'm not part of my narrative. It's not who I am. Let's say my narrative is that I'm a singer, I'm a dancer, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a, I'm a rabbi, I, I'm a lawyer. I don't know, whatever your narrative is. I'm a housewife, I'm a mother, I'm a father. Whatever the narrative is. You say, okay, I'm getting very stuck in this narrative and it's really pulling me down and everything I'm unfolding, all the present experiences I'm having in my life is unfolding within my past. So therefore, I'm going to let go of everything. Okay, that's the first step. But then you have to re-engage in life. And the re-engagement in life means I'm engaging in life with an openness for what life has to offer at this present moment or to say it on a much deeper level what Hashem has to offer me at this very present moment that's the state of becoming the becoming is that I'm not just in pure potential but I marry the potential with the actual and say in this in the state that I'm now right this present moment what is Hashem telling me to do right in this present moment maybe yesterday Hashem told me to do this and today Hashem is telling me to do that every single relationship that I have the moment I look at a person and I see them for who they were yesterday then I'm not giving them the opportunity for them to be presented in this present moment and something different can unfold. If I look at my husband or my wife or my mother or my father or my child or my coworker or my friends or whoever I look at in this world, if I look at them the exact same way that I looked at them the day before, then I'm taking their present moment and unfolding it within their past and therefore there's no possibility for movement. It's just the actual and I'll never have any potential for something else. The way to truly engage in life in a very healthy and redemptive way is to say every single moment I meet a, this person, even though I met this person a thousand times, is as if I'm meeting this person for the first time. Yes, yesterday maybe you did this to me. And yesterday you were not successful. successful. And yesterday and yesterday I was frustrated because this is what you did to me and this is what you told me. And I have certain expectations. I think this is what's going to really work. But I believe in the possibility of the new you right this moment and the, in the you that's becoming. And when we engage in this world with everything in this world, whether it's people or it's life or it's our own experiences, whether it's the life that we're living, where we're constantly engaged in the world with a sense of wonder, a sense of newness, of ischachas, of renewal, that every single moment, every single moment is another opportunity. We're no longer stuck in our past. This is what it means to live in the name of Echa, to live with the name of the becoming. To live with the name of the becoming is not to live in a place of actual, not to live in a place of potential, but to live in the, the potential that's actualizing in every single moment from new. And therefore, every experience that we have, we're always open to the experience and saying, wow, I met you today for the first time. That's amazing. Who are you? Or I met my work today. And what type of work am I doing? And I met my spouse today. I met my child today. And the moment we live with that sense of wonder, of openness, to be open to the state of becoming, we're free. And that's the way we achieve, we achieve this type of freedom. And the Torah is telling us, this, this grand narrative, the Torah is telling us that some life presents itself this way. The name of Hashem, the name of Eke is always present. The burning bush, like the Sosemis, another Sadiqim write, the burning bush, is a, is a reality that always exists. Asna'ina ukul is always the presence of Hashem in the place of hardship, and the hardship is still there, and it's not ukul, it's not destroyed, it's not consumed. The name Eke is always appearing in this world. The name of Hashem, Hashem is always appearing to us at every single moment. The question is, 
are we going to asura Eras Mara? Are we going to stop and pause and recognize the wonder, the miracle, the opportunity that's being presented to us every single moment from new? And the moment we start living this way, we're experiencing Nebaka. And Hashem says in the Torah, as the Torah says, is sometimes you're going to get it on your own. God willing, you're going to live this way, and it's going to be effective in a way that you can experience it every single moment, and you don't need anything, you don't need any external things. Sometimes it's going to be in a way that you're going to be really stuck. Hashem says, "I'm going to gift you that gift of freedom. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, out of Egypt, and redeem you." And that's what we say every single day, every single moment. A person has to imagine himself as if they're leaving, leaving Egypt. Every single day. Every single moment a person is leaving Egypt, which means every single moment we have the opportunity to let go and be free and be alive. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Good Shabbos.